This is The Crucible. The JRTC Experience. This is where we discuss warfighting skills and lessons learned in a decisive action training environment for large-scale combat operations at JRTC. Hi, I'm Colonel Matt Hardman, the Commander of Operations Group here at the Joint Readiness Training Center at Fort Polk, Louisiana. Thanks for joining us for our first episode of The Crucible. And to start out with, we've got uh, Brigadier General uh, Gardner, also a former Commander of Operations Group uh, with us today. Sir, uh, could you just tell us about your background and history and, and how, how you ended up to be the commanding general of JRTC Fort Polk, sir? Yeah, so, you know, I was born in New York City, uh, wanted to go to West Point since I was a young boy, um, and then was fortunate enough to get in, graduate, uh, and chose a career in the infantry. And, and that's really what I've been doing ever since. Uh, typical, you know, 30-year history, as most people by this point have. Um, and then I think it was, was fortunate as, as sometimes happens um, to be in the right place at the right time. And, and somebody said, hey, we think you should go be the commander of ops group. And I did. And it was a great assignment for two years. Um, and then uh, after doing a job in between, offered the opportunity to come back here. And uh, my wife and I jumped at it. Um, I've had one of my, my son graduated from Leesville High School in the area. And then now my daughter is back with some of her middle school friends. And so even though we've moved the kids a lot during high school years, it was also a great opportunity for her to come back and, and link back up with some of the school friends that she'd had, which seldom occurs for our kids. I think one of the things that's interesting maybe for the audience is, you know, you're master rated jump master. You commanded 2nd Battalion, 505th. A lot of time in uh, the 2nd Airborne Division. But you've also done a couple gunneries. Yeah, I've done a couple. Of so, I uh, no, and and, and I, I've I've loved every assignment yes, that I've had, and I loved being the battalion commander of Two Panther. Um, I always used to say that uh, John Wayne only got to play <laughs> Two Panther Six in a movie. I got to play him in real life. Um, but yeah, I was in all the brigades there at one time or another. Loved my assignments there. Uh, but I had company command in Third Infantry Division, and I loved that assignment. The opportunities uh, did the invasion as a company commander in Third Infantry Division. Um, and then commanded 2nd Brigade, 1st uh, Infantry Division, which was also historically the 2nd Airborne Infantry Brigade. And so it's pretty neat. So although I've spent about half my career on jump status, I've really appreciated uh, doing some of the other things. And as a young officer, uh, that was really what was modeled to me, and I pursued that. Um, you know, I went to the Artillery Advance Course. Uh, after the 82nd as a lieutenant, I, I chose to do the heavy light imperative. And, uh, and again, I, I think I'm a better officer for it. No, absolutely, sir. And I appreciate you you sharing that. And then and then for everybody watching the other, uh, I didn't know about the field artillery advanced course. And the other fun fact is General Gardner's dad was actually. Uh, I'm going to stretch it here. Basis for Miami Vice. Yeah, uh, <laughs> he he was he was a narcotics police officer in the Miami Beach uh, Police Department. And uh, so yeah, I mean a little bit. Sure, I'll go with that. <laughs> yeah. He was the basis. Awesome, sir. Well, thanks, and, and thanks for the introduction. And so, sir, I'm going to kind of start at the end. 
Um, at the end of every rotation, when we conclude with the rotational AR, uh, you're one of the last people uh, that gets the opportunity to speak with the brigade. And uh, you, you start the end of, of those, uh, that, that dialogue with a quote from T.S. Fehrenbach from the book, This Kind of War, which is about the Korean War. Um, and the quote is, they'd been raised to believe the world was without tigers, then sent to face those tigers without a stick. Can you just talk about the message that you provide units uh, here at the end of the rotation and sort of why that, that quote sticks out to you is important? Yeah, I, I think it's an important quote because I, I think it does help define why our combat training centers are supposed to be difficult. Um, I, I'm also a big believer uh, in a book called America's First Battles. Um, I don't think it's a coincidence uh, that America's first battles and the battles that are discussed in that book and, and talks about some of our failures in preparing. Um, and then also obviously talks about how well we adapt in war. Um, but that track record sort of goes away as we invent the combat training centers in the early 80s. And then obviously moving from Chaffee to JRTC at Fort Polk in 87 to 93. Um, and I think that the CTCs are the antidote to America's first battles. And I think the only way you do that uh, is by making this replicate, be challenging, be hard. And so the point that I try to drive home is that our job's not necessarily to make people feel good about um, what they've accomplished in the rotation, but to be proud of how hard they fought to savor the victories that they've had, uh, but to really have that sense of achievement because they've done something that's difficult and they're not kitted by thinking that combat is going to be something easy. And uh, it's really rewarding. Uh, when I was the commander of operations group, the forces that we sent to either Afghanistan or to Iraq all commented on their training at GRTC and how that well that prepared them uh, for the realities. And so I, I think that quote, again, just solidifies our role to give realistic training. Um, there's a time for crawl, walk, run. And there's a time for CTCs where it's difficult like combat is. Yeah, sure. Like nobody does 500 burpees and say, like, what a great right. experience right. that was. Right. right, right. But they're stronger at the end. But they're stronger and proud they did 500 burpees. Yeah. And, and the story I tell, not to get too pop culture, is, you know, in, uh, in the famous uh, classic Rocky III, um, where Clubber you know, yeah, Mickey, Clubber Ar Mickey Ar arranges <laughs> 10 title defenses for Rocky and he he beats them all, right? But they're not really difficult. When he faces a real fighter, you know, he's challenged. And, and we don't, we don't want to do what Mickey did. We, we want to we beat the, the, the tar out of the, uh, the enemy when we face him. Your dialogue here and with us, you know, comes out in, uh, in that important, uh, importance of winning the first fight. And, um, you know, I, I'd obviously, I've, I've been the beneficiary of the combat training centers, you know, as well. And, and this, um, you know, idea of the first fight and how we prepare is, I think, particularly hard because we don't know. Right. It's this unknown in front of us. And sort of all we can do is, as you described, sir, is like train as hard as we can against the hardest enemy right. possible uh, to be ready. Sort of in that vein, sir, when we go back to the first battles is, you know, obviously, you know, we trace our lineage here at the Joint Race Training Center back to Louisiana maneuvers. And, and I'm going to say this a little bit tongue in cheek, but, you know, why do we see the same trends uh, that George C. Marshall saw in 1941 in the Louisiana maneuvers? Yeah, no, and, and you and I have talked about it. I mean, it, 
I, I tend to try to put things in context, and, and I really see trends in, in, in really three sorts of flavors. I think sometimes what we read about in trends are things that are just difficult. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure that, to your point, when Marshall was a lieutenant and he was trying to, you know, do Soser on, on the breach, right, that he got something wrong. I mean, it's just difficult to synchronize fires and maneuver, and, and it's perishable. And, and so I think there's just some things that are difficult and we have to train at them and it's why we train at them and how we learn to do them. Um, and and it's, they're just hard to put together. And then I think uh, similarly, there's things that as we evolve, you, you know, what is the brigade's role? What is the battalion's role? What is the company's role? And I think, you know, quite often we have to look behind the trends and say, okay, is this a formation that's capable of doing that thing that we're seeing them not do well over time. And so I think in my personal opinion, we spent a lot of years talking about, you know, counter battery fire uh, with the brigade combat teams. And I think we lost context of when we used to be good at counter battery fire, or at least it was a first order trend, right, where we had to work at it. Um, and it was within a context of divisions and divarties, and the brigade was part of an ecosystem that was fighting that fight. And so I think it's a little bit awkward to focus in on a trend without focusing first and foremost on what's the brigade's role in that trend and how well are they doing. And then I think there are... Yeah, sir. I mean, yeah. maybe maybe their problem may not be their fault, like yeah. in terms of the way we've, we've manned, you know, equipped, and organized. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, you know, sometimes we've done a really good job in the rotations I've seen, um, but we're always at the precipice of getting it wrong, for example, with the 82nd, with, with airborne assault, airfield seizure, right, where if we're not careful, the AAR can quickly turn to things like force flow and how we're uh, coming into the lodgement when a lot of that is, is really something that a brigade or whatever the, the task force is doing the operation is within, again, a division construct, right? Yes, and so sir. we've got to be just as mindful. We tell the unit to focus on the things they control. And I think when we're talking trends, we as the trainers, as the after-action reviewers, have to be careful also at, at weeding out the things that the brigade really isn't solely responsible for so we can fix the things that, that they control. And then, of course, there's things that it's just the brigade's job to do well. And that's, I think, the, the biggest ones that, that, that uh, we can focus on through prioritization, through mission selection, through making sure we're focused on the metal. Um, because, again, I mean, the reason we're maybe not good at fires is because for years we're not doing fires in a, in a LISCO environment, you know, a large-scale environment. And so um, there's reasons for priorities. There's reasons we're not good at things. Training time is always at a premium. Um, and, and so we've got to pick the things we're going to be good at and do well at them. And if we're picking the wrong things, those trends are important to our senior leaders like the Forces Command uh, Commanding General so that he can help give guidance of what he thinks the formations need to be best at along with the division commanders. And we can focus on that. In that, I mean, your perspective, obviously, uh, 2018 to 20 as a commander operations group, and then now you know back here as the commanding general, um, you know, and, and you're and you've obviously seen this place um, over time. You know, how have you seen the Joint Readiness Training Center evolve and, and how and and its in its mission and its approach? Yeah, I mean, first I'd like to connect the last thing that we discussed maybe in this and say. Yes, you know, interesting. So I, I, I taught at Sam's, uh, you know, early in the in the decade, you know, 2015 to 16, and a that, lot of the majors. Sir, that, that's the last decade. 
Yeah, the last decade. Yeah, sorry. Well, it's still less than ten years ago. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, no, but what 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 I what I saw at the time was I saw majors uh, coming through Sam's that had um, pretty intense combat experience in Afghanistan and Iraq. I mean, these were typically lieutenants uh, in the surge years in both Iraq and Afghanistan, and and there was a real you know kind of lack of understanding of the skill sets required in decisive action. And what I really respected in that, in that cohort uh, was that they, they were not satisfied, you know, almost, not, almost all of them were unsatisfied relying on that combat experience in Iraq and Afghanistan. They felt with the humility that, that, that they needed to learn how to transition and fight different types of fights in the future as field grade officers, as battalion commanders in the future. And so there was a, a thirst for knowledge. And so then a couple years later, when I find myself as the COG, um, there was just that lack of knowledge. There was the willingness to learn, but there was the lack of knowledge. And so how do we fix that? And so I asked the leader training program to ensure that um, when, when units come through that program, they should leave, the individuals should leave with a full understanding of the details required by warfighting function to succeed in decisive action, now large-scale combat operations. And so something I told our senior leaders a couple months ago was as I come back now, I'm actually seeing those same field grades returning as battalion commanders, and I'm seeing those captains return as majors, and they understand the details required. Now they're in a place, a good place, where how do we practically apply those details that we know have to be plan for on an ever-changing complex, you know, really large-scale battlefield. And so it's encouraging to see. We're at the place where, you know, now we're trying to put things into practice, but we have a, a foundation, a, a common set of knowledge. And so what I've seen, at least in my time associated recently, is, you know, we, we went from a combat training center uh, way of being a forcing function to drive readiness in our army for the unexpected. And so um, units were surprised, I think, by what they found at the CTCs. We were very close hold with the information and what your rotation would be. Um, really, as we fast forward several years, the only unknown is the specifics of what's going to happen in the rotation. Um, but you understand what to expect. The level of teamwork um, that occurs between the observer, coach, trainers, and the units can occur as early as those units have the appetite to get in contact. We're on the team. There's a teamwork there. There's not a gotcha. And I think one of the things with remarkable consistency that JRTC has been is not a place where you test. You come to train. And, and, and we're here to train with you and to help you train and get the most out of your, your rotation possible. And so that flexibility we have for rotations to tailor them to the division commander's training objectives but still have room at echelon, for what the squad leader wants to work on, all the way to the brigade commander and division commander, and our ability, I think, to adapt along the way and adjust the Rio stat for what is just a little bit harder. What's going to give that right amount of muscle failure to the unit for 14 days? I think something that it's really been remarkable to see the consistency, but how we've evolved to ensure our ability to keep doing that as we have focused on different things over the years. Yeah, you know, as you describe that, particularly the growth from you know that population of junior majors that you're with at SAMS to seeing some of those folks back now as mm -hmm. battalion commanders, and um, it is really encouraging. I mean, there's yeah. sort of sometimes if 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 you're a longtime listener, first time caller to JRTC, you know, it's like oh, like this is like traumatic 
a little bit event. Um, but the reality is folks that have touched this over time, you know, I mean, every, every single commander of a previous commander of operations group is actually pretty impressed with how our army has grown uh, into this uh, with, you know, as you described it, you know, this foundation of knowledge that a lot of folks just hadn't been exposed to, to now multiple sets and reps at this, um, that we're really getting to a higher level of learning as we kind of tie it all together. And, um, and I, you know, it's, it's, it's fun watching folks come here and really do hard things and do those things, you know, really well. And, you know, most of them don't really enjoy it on training day, uh, you know, seven or eight per se. Right. But, but to the earlier point, they're, they're pretty impressed with the growth that they see in their teams, um, you know, on the back end of this thing. And um, yeah, it's, it's motivating to be a part of. And, and, and we're not, and we're not the, you know, we're not the future is one of the things that I, I kind of wrestle with. Right. So, you know, I think there's a lot, I've heard a couple people, I've, I've reflected on it for a lot of years now. I really think that this cohort um, that, that sort of came out as junior officers out of the global war on terror, and, and I'll say seven years ago or so, right, to, to kind of pin it around the transition to resolute support and some other things just for a mark on the wall. I think there's a lot of analogy um, to our generation that came out as junior officers to Vietnam, right? And so those officers, that's what they train, that's what they learned to do, that's what they experienced, and that's what brought them forward. But that was the generation that brought us into, you know, the greatest army uh, that the earth has seen. Um, and, and our role really is to be that bracket on either side, understanding what large-scale combat operations were and recognizing what was in the middle and helping them get to there and putting that on top of their broad experience in operations. And, and they're going to be the ones that create the next best army, you know, as, as, we, uh, as we go forward. I mean, so that's, that's really our role is to hand that mantle, um, in my opinion, and, and be that bridge. We're the bridge from airland battle to yes, MDO. And, and they're the generation that's going to inform it based on their combat experience from lieutenants all the way now to battalion command and even brigade commanders now. Yes, sir. I, I uh, you know, I commanded a battalion in Alaska, the third of the uh, 509th, and uh, every single one of the company commanders I had had done two combat deployments as a lieutenant, almost all of them in Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. So super hardened, um, my personal view, a very mature view of our profession right. in terms of the hazard of our profession. And as you described with the generation that you were with at SAMS, I had this thirst uh, to learn, um, you know, what was decisive action in, in the focus of LISCO. And just kind of reflecting on that, you know, uh, they their first uh, decisive action rotation, you know, was here uh, at JRTC in February 2016. Mm -hmm. uh, and then coming out of this and, and now, you know, those folks are, you know, field grades in JSOC, Ranger Regiment, uh, First Armor Division. Um, it, and I mean, the way you described it, it is pretty cool to watch uh, that generation grow into this and, and imagine what they're going to be like as battalion and brigade commanders uh, with multiple reps of doing this, um, really, you know, taking that mantle of, of the best army in the world. Uh, it's pretty cool to be a part of that, sir. Um, so in this, and I, you know, you and I have talked about this before, sir, and, um, I love the way you describe it, but, you know, if you could, you know, you, you were here really when the, the live fires at the Jordan Reyes Training Center, uh, changed. And if you could just describe, 
the multi-echelon live fire here at JRTC and sort of why that's special and why that's different than live fire in a home station. Yeah, and I'm, I mean, I, you know, I, I inherited, I mean, there's a that one of the great things about this place is, you know, cogs put things into motion that other cogs, you know, pick up the, like, the baton. Like podcasts. Yeah, like podcasts. <laughs> um, but no, I, so I, I, you know, what, what, I, what I got was, you know, as, as good as we could do given the area that we had to do live fire in, and there were plans to expand live fire, and so we were able to get that better. And I think um, what we really have been able to accomplish, and it's gotten better since I left, um, is, is this ability at the multi-echelon level, which is something that we've got to make sure we're good at um, in the Army, because every echelon's not going to get their own focus training time. We don't have the money, we don't have the time for that. And, and it often comes as a cost, right? And so one of the things that I think is fantastic about where we are and, and where we've been for several years in the multi-echelon live fire is that you know, on, on, you're really sending initially, first and foremost, your junior leaders to what I call football camp. You know? um, you're going to send your company commanders up there, you're going to send your squad leaders up there, and they're going to get over-the-shoulder coaching on their level of blocking and tackling, right? I mean, we're going to make sure they understand how to do machine gun crew drills and how to do fire control, and company commanders understand how to time uh, you know, movement through the breach, how to, how to prep the breach, what suppression and obscuration should look like. And we're going to teach ballistic breaches and, and, uh, and explosive breaches of obstacles. And we're going we're gonna to do those things in a very focused you know, kind of level with the wide receivers and the tight ends and the and the the offensive line, and we're gonna we're gonna work all those pieces. But by the time we're done with it, every echelon gets their opportunity. So now the platoon can take that basic blocking and tackling fundamentals that have been polished, and and they can do good battle drills. And the company commander has an opportunity to put those good battle drills together and and em- employ enabler fires and other assets in support of that company maneuver. Now I've got a battalion over the top of it that can not only control in a, in a very simple way um, two or more companies, but set conditions and be thinking about what's next. And a brigade now that has to wrestle with how does it sequence its maneuver formations with limited ISR and limited fires to be able to mass those resources at the appropriate place and time to do the things that it needs to do. And I think the beauty of it is that it's stitched together so well that you know we're not going to have major uh, problems getting in the way of squad leader, platoon leader training objectives because of what's going on at Brigade and, and vice versa. Uh, but at the same time, I think it's invaluable because I, I'm a big fan of fire control exercises. I'm a big fan of, of computer exercises and command post exercises. But you don't have a heat casualty in Alpha Company that stalls your movement in the CPX, typically, right? Which risks completely throwing off your sequence of fires, right? You, that stuff happens when you train at this level. And I think we can do it in a way that preserves training objectives at Echelon. And I've just seen that grown beautifully, you know, really through the years of, you know, Bernabe, Doyle, me, Curl, Sozlov, now you. Um, because we've all added these little components and, and we've, uh, we've been able to, I think, make it a great training event. As, a, as somebody that went through a couple years, I, I thought it was awesome. Um, it, uh, you know, at the brigade level, it, it felt every bit 
as real as and intense as what was happening in Fullerton and Box during Force on Force. And I think a testament to kind of the rigor of it. And it really helped us uh, improve where we're at from a command and control perspective and, and ratchet the, really the tightness with our, our rehearsals, particularly particularly our, our fires technical rehearsal. Um, and then, you know, I think the, the, bene- the, the importance placed on it means that it continues to evolve and grow and, and, and get refined uh, to, to maximize what we're doing at every echelon to help those units, you know, get better. Uh, yeah. you, you keep hiring good coaches yeah. uh, to work that camp. Yeah. And, uh, well, and I think the cautionary piece of it is something you just said, though, which is because I said it's focused at echelon, um, if you as a commander are not invested in accomplishing and establishing what you want to gain out of it, you can gain very little. And, and there's a danger in that. It doesn't yes, force you to do things like the force on force, right? Yes, sir. But, but, a, but commanders at Echelon who come in with a good list of, hey, these are the things I want to get right, it can be powerful. Yes, um, sir. But again, the company's going to do a great breach whether the brigade commander did X or Y or even the battalion did X or Y. And so yes, sir. You know, I think leaders have to be mindful of that and come in with a good set of training objectives. Yes, sir. And I mean, it's the, you know, one of the truisms of here, sir, is, is it is always... You get out of it what you put into right. it, hundred percent. Right, um, sir. So um, shift gears a little bit, but you know, from your time as a commander operations group, and then now as a command general, like, and, and haven't been in the army not super long because I don't want to make you feel like you're old, sir. But um, what, how's, how I did you... reflect the other day that my jump boots are older than most of the company commanders on this installation, if not all of them. So they're thirty-one years old. So. Wow, sorry. I already feel bad. Yeah. <laughs> and they're not getting a DD two fourteen anytime. No. Those jump boots. No. Um, how does this, uh, you know, how does this experience here uh, shape really the folks that are, are OCTs uh, here? Yeah. I, I, again, I think um, it's really hard to not learn here as an OCT. You, you kind of um, have to be like working it, not learning. Yeah, you, you really do. Um, I mean, you, to, to be a good OCT, you have to be observant. You have to think about what you're seeing. You have to reflect. And I think if you're a professional, which m- the, the vast, you know, almost every uh, person here is, um, you know, there's there, never say never. There's always, you know, the, the one I'm sure that we could find, but I haven't seen them yet, right? So, so the OCTs here, I think, are learning through others. And even Clausewitz said, you know, it's better to learn through others' experience, right? Yeah, I'll throw a little Sam's Clausewitz uh, paraphrase in there. Um, but I think what it really prepares you to do, as I've said to people, is it prepares you to succeed at the next level. Um, and so I think one of the fallacies is, is this notion, you know, that being an OCT, you know, gets you to the next level. I think it gets you to the next, next level, right? So if you come here as a company commander, uh, former company commander, you're going to get promoted to major based on how well you did as a company commander. It's really, this is going to have limited impact on that, maybe on the margins. But what you're going to get to experience as a company team senior working on the battalion staff of what battalions do that are successful battalions, you're going to be a powerful field grade when you do come out of here, go through ILE, put it together with the book learning and what you've seen experience, you're going to be far better. I think the same applies with our NCOs. I think you know, the sergeant first class who comes here is going to get promoted based on how well they did as a platoon sergeant. Um, but they're going to see a lot of company level uh, activity, a lot of training, a lot of, they're going to have a lot of observations. 
and, and they have an opportunity to employ that and be much better on day one as a company first start. And so I think you're much better when you step back into an organization uh, having been here. And that's why I'm a huge fan of, of coming down here. And even if you don't serve as an OCT, which I, I want to make sure we have good OCTs, I encourage people to come on right seat rides down here and observe. I mean, that used to be our tactical battalion command uh, pre-command course. You know, you'd come and right seat ride at the CTCs. And so there's value in getting some of that experience, whatever you can get. And I think that an assignment down here of one or two years or three years is invaluable. Yes, sir. And, you know, the well, I mean, one of the things I really appreciate is, is you know, in particular, the senior captains uh, that have spent a little time on a task force now working up in Zulu. I mean, we're they're essentially doing like major, yeah. senior major work, you know, that's done at divisions and, and the opportunities of, of what they get to see and do and the impact they get to make. Um, you know, it's always the, uh, you know, I, I think uh, we, you know, we give heavy rucksacks uh, to some of those folks and then it, it, I never cease to be amazed that they exceed expectations right. of what they can do. And I think that's one of the cool parts about being here. Um, all right, sir, before I go into the lightning round questions, okay. is there anything that we haven't talked about that you think we ought to talk about or any questions you have for me, sir? No, I think I'll, I'll, uh, I'll shoot back at you in the lightning the, uh, round. during the lightning round. Okay, sir. Um, so the first question, and this is always uncomfortable. Um, did Geronimo cheat when you were the commander of operations group, and why do they still cheat? Um, <laughs> so that's a loaded question. But uh, no, they – so – so Geronimo soldiers might try once in a while, but the chain of command's pretty good at keeping them uh, in the box, literally and figuratively. <laughs> um, no, I, I think, you know, it's, it's like I told my brigade before I was ever the COG and we were going to NTC. You know, I said, you know, coming to the CTC is like going to your friend's house, playing Madden on their Xbox, right? Like they've got all the controls memorized. They've set up all their audibles. You're coming to their home turf. They know what team to pick. They know the plays. They know all that stuff before you ever get there, right? And so it's really, really hard to beat your friend at football on his Xbox <laughs> in Madden. And that's, that's the CTCs. I mean, there's, they, they get to do the same thing on the same terrain over and over and over and over and over again, right? They have an ex, uh, exquisite knowledge of the terrain. Uh, they get to do nothing but those tactics every single day. Um, and so most of what happens is happening because They've been practicing at it. Um, now, every once in a while, every organization is going to try to push things. I think that's the, the job of the battalion commander, Geronimo, the job of the COG. So, you know, there were times that they'd want to do something, which was completely in bounds, right? Uh, you know, hey, sir, you know, we're weathering in, uh, you know, at 0200. So I'm thinking if I attack at 0200, they won't be able to use their Apaches the against old me. The old I'm banana like, and the tailpipe yeah, well, trick. Like, all right, Geronimo Six, I love what you're thinking. It's realistic, but we spent a lot, you know, many millions of dollars to bring the Apaches down here. We, we got to make sure they get an opportunity to get in the fight. So, no, I think they just are very good at what they do. Uh, I think they pride themselves on, on doing that well. And I think a really good opportunity, we talked about being an, an OCT here. It's really cool to come, everybody I've talked to, and be on the Op4 side as an augmentee on the Op4 because – they, they see with their own eyes that what they're doing is they're doing rehearsals and, and they're practiced and, and they're doing the fundamentals. And they might be fighting doctrine that's not U.S., but they're trying to apply a U.S. basic soldier skill and process to ultimately 
uh, a threat doctrine. And frankly, I, I would ask you the same question. I mean, you see it every rotation. You see opportunities where they're not perfect, and there's an opportunity uh, for the rotational unit to really take advantage, and they just they just can't quite grasp the ring and uh, and take advantage. But Geronimo reveals its humanity every rotation <laughs> on the rotation system, right? They, they reveal you know, their humanity. You know, I so, will tell you, I've I have I have talked to Geronimo six. And I'm saying Geronimo six because I had a few of them. I have talked to Geronimo six ten times more about hey, you better up your game because you you get sloppy, you're going to get your clock cleaned ten times more than I've ever talked to Geronimo six about doing something. That Tanking. wasn't fair in the rules yes, and, and the X row. Yes, sir. No, I, I, you know, I think so. I think that's the first one. It's like they want to win every single time. Um, they want to win, and um, you know that mindset of uh, you know I had, a, I had a soccer coach. I'm sorry, I'm, we, we, we went football analogies yeah. for a while, and I'll go the football with a U. You. you know, he, I asked him. He'd been a Division One coach for about 15 years, and I asked him like about leadership and how he kind of viewed things. And he said the thing that had changed is, you know, he started recruiting for mindset, and he said mindset drives capacity and skill, not the other way around. Yeah. And they, you know, they want to win every single time. And what's what is good is when units uh, come through and really up their game, which I think we've seen over, uh, you know, the last, you know, couple of years as, as right. units are really getting better at Lisco. It's actually forcing Geronimo yeah. to really up their game. Yeah. Um, so my question really is, you know, why do you let them cheat more as the cog? <laughs> so we don't. And, and, and <laughs> sure, I think your comment spot on is, um, you know, we want this kind of infinite game approach of yeah. where, you know, as units get better, as our army gets better, it forces Geronimo to get better. You know, this is what I, you know, my, my challenge to the RTU is like put us in a place where I get to go to the the force com commander and say, hey, sir, we need a second battalion of, of yeah. op four down here. Um, and, you know, I think the that that's really, you know, we want units to to do what Geronimo says makes them uncomfortable. Right. You know, so when units do combine arms maneuver really well, uh, and that, that makes Geronimo uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, when they establish the security area in front of their defense, that makes Geronimo uncomfortable. And, uh, you know, absolutely, I think there's opportunities uh, for, for Op4 to, to make Geronimo uncomfortable, to win. Yeah, um, and, I, and, I, and we've, we've seen units win. Yes, sir. You know, we've seen units win at both CTC, all three CT, DIRT CTCs. Sure. Units can win. It just doesn't happen real often. No. It know, but it doesn't mean, like I tell units, that you can't be the next guy to beat Geronimo or you can't be the next guy to beat Black Horse. Yes, sir. Not, not that you and I might have seen that in a defense at the National <laughs> Training Center. May have. Um, and it, it, it is. And, you know, it's a, I think the challenge is can you aggregate enough wins yeah. together at the company battalion level to, to have a brigade win? Uh, no, I, that's, the, you know. I, I like to tease. I like to tease Geronimo Six about this, and you know, I think the other part of it is it really is like the empowerment of junior NCOs. I mean, the high expectations that we put on junior NCOs and Geronimo yeah. uh, to, to fight at a high, a high level and to the standard. Yeah, it's the only organization in the U.S. Army where you can tell, hey, specialists, here's three days of food and water. These two privates work for you. I need you to walk ten kilometers and ambush anything that comes down, you know, Route Blue. Yes, sir. And, and that soldier's going to do it. Absolutely, well, sir. Do it well. Absolutely. No, it's it's a ton of fun watching them fight, and and you know I think they're getting better. 
uh, frankly, because I think our army is getting better. Oh, I thought you were going to say because you're the cog now. No, absolutely okay. not, sir. Sir, I think we've established <laughs> that in the uh, in the gathering of the cogs uh, with uh, with the 82nd rotation. I think we established that. All right, sir. Uh, serious question here. Uh, what's the best food in the greater JRTC area? So there's lots of good food, and I know... And, and this is important because of LTP, you it, know, folks got to come prepared. It is. What I would tell people is there's lots of great food. You've heard about a lot of the restaurants. We know uh, that this place is good for Cajun food and seafood. I tell you, the best place to go is our very own Warrior Center on Fort Polk because of our chef down there. And uh, if you ever get invited to an event, whether it's some kind of round table, lunch, Go take advantage yeah. of it because you're going to get the best food in Louisiana. M Mr. Charles brings the heat, he literally does. and figuratively. Every time. <laughs> Every time. That's right. Yes, sir. All right. Uh, and the, the, new, the new joint over at uh, the bowling alley is pretty. Yeah, the Anvil. It's pretty solid, That's sir. right. We've gone over there um, and eaten dinner as well. All right. And then uh, present company excluded, who's the most interesting cog and why? You know, I, I, I thought about this ever since you asked me it uh, 30 seconds ago. Um, but uh, it's a really tough thing because the COGS have been pretty different. Um, now, ironically, most of the COGS have served in the Falcon Brigade of the 82nd, um, number one, even though I've been a Panther and a Devil as well. Um, so that's a pretty interesting fact. Um, got a couple division commanders floating around out there right now, a Corps commander. Um, but... But to me, I think they all have an interesting dynamic because they've all set a plank, you know, in this rotation, old construct, right, of, of what the Joint Readiness Training Center is. I know a lot of them. Um, I loved, you know, Tim McAteer's, you know, this is not where you come to test. We know it's the place where units come to train. Um, I, I loved what uh, General Chris Leneve has done to not only make this CTC great, but also make, uh, you know, JMRC what it needs to be uh, as we return to Lisco as well as the 7th ATC, you know, CG out there. So he's done a lot of interesting stuff. Um, Sean Bernabe here in the, in the height of just trying to return units to readiness. Um, Dave Doyle doing that same kind of thing and really expanding the live fire and, and taking what Bernabe had laid. You know, obviously some of the things uh, that, that I did and then, you know, Curl having to fix all the bad things that I did coming in. But between Jason and uh, Jay Curl and, and uh, Andy Soslov trying to really make the division wrap believable. So I think the really cool thing is that every cog has added something to what this place uh, does. Um, the most interesting is still Lieutenant General Bernabe because I remember like it was yesterday, you know, he and I sitting as lieutenants in Bravo Company 2nd 325. Um, and it's just remarkable that, you know, almost 30 years later, you know, he's a, he's a core commander um, and, uh, and is one of those guys that, uh, you know, I always knew was, you know, you always say that, but you're like, man, this, this guy's a guy I want to be. And, uh, and so, but they're all interesting, um, yourself included. You know, everybody adds a little thing uh, to the place and brings some of their own unique experiences. And I think it's one of the things that makes this place great. One of the, one of the, the things of JRTC, and I, you can't say the same thing about every place, is that the COGS and the continuity of the COGS and the JRTC is really a reflection of the COGS. It's not really a reflection of the CGs here. It's really a reflection of the commanders of operations group and, and their close relationship with, uh, with the Army and with the Force Comm CG. You know, it's, it's humbling to be a part of this. Um, and frequently, 
uh, at least a couple times every rotation. I'm, I'm floored at what this thing is that we, that we get to be a part of here, sir. And, um, you know, as you described kind of that history of at least, re, you know, relatively recent history of commanders of operations group here, it's just the difference that people have made for our army and the impact that they've had. And as you go through all those names, I mean, so many, how many of them have personally impacted me? I'm John right. Leneve was a cog when I came through as a battalion commander. You know, I, I was blown away by the experience I got here as a battalion commander. I like absolutely uh, felt like I'd you know done an extra phase in, in ranger school when I came through here as a battalion commander. Right. Um, but, but truly grateful for kind of the experience. And then, um, you know, General, uh, John Bernabe uh, promoted me to Lieutenant Colonel uh, outside of uh, front steps of the Capitol, uh, Grant statue. And then, you know, small, like weird twist. I was at Leavenworth at the same time and had a, a friend that was like, hey, there's this guy. Uh, he's a Lieutenant Colonel there. You should go talk to him. He'll tell you like how to be a major. And I sat down with uh, then Lieutenant Colonel Bernabe for yeah. about two hours. And then we ended up randomly serving together at 10th Mountain Division. Right. He's the DCO. Um, you know, and then my neighbors here, uh, Colonel Saslov and, um, and John Curl, you know, the difference that they've made in, in my life. So this is a special place, and, and I think we're both blessed to, to get to be a part of it and what we do here. Um, sir, thanks for spending time with us here, and uh, I know we'll get you back on here uh, going forward. Any closing comments or thoughts, sir? No, I mean again, I, I I love this place and what it represents, and to your point, what it what it does for the army. Um, and you know, the cool thing is like this conversation we're having. You know, we're doing it, and we're recording it. Uh, but I think one of the great things about JRTC is, you know, we get to have these fun conversations every day about like army stuff, right? The, yes, the stuff you want to do. Um, and so, uh, no, I appreciate you having me on, and uh, and and I know it's going to be a great uh, series here of. of uh, of discussions that you're going to be sharing with the army and hopefully it encourages more people to have even better discussions down the road. Yes, sir. Thanks for your time, sir. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on the crucible, the JRTC experience. The Joint Readiness Training Center is the premier crucible training experience. We prepare units to fight and win in the most complex environments against world-class opposing forces. We are America's leadership laboratory. Again, we'd like to thank our guests for participating. This podcast was created and produced by Mr. John Mabes. It was recorded and edited by Chief Thomas Rich and researched by First Lieutenant Anthony Cho. Intro vocals were done by Mr. Robert Chopper. Special thanks to Captain Jermaine Branch and Mr. Jeff England from Public Affairs. Be sure to like and follow us on social media to keep up with the latest warfighting TTPs learned through the crucible that is the Joint Readiness Training Center. Follow us by going to https colon forward slash forward slash l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e forward slash j-r-t-c. We'd like to thank our partners at the Center for Army Lessons Learned of the Combined Arms Center, especially the JRTC Call Observations Detachment. Be sure to follow them on social media as well. Follow them at https colon forward slash forward slash www.army.mil 
forward slash C-A-L-L. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and review us wherever you listen or watch your podcasts. And be sure to stay tuned for more in the near future. The Crucible, the JRTC experience, is a product of the Joint Readiness Training Center.